You guys, I have actual tape of me in the eighth grade calling into Cola 99.9, requesting Wild Thing and dedicating it to Jade, the hottest girl in the eighth grade at Woodcrest Christian. Wild Thing? Wild Thing. Isn't that a wild thing to her? Well, the good news. How did she respond? No, no, no other person. No person in my school listened to the oldies radio station. They all were allowed to listen to Kiss FM by their parents. I was not. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church. We got cameras pointing at us now. I'm wondering, do we look at the... Well, hey, everybody, should I be looking to the camera when I welcome them? Because we normally just look at ourselves. You should look at me because I'm your boss. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I have no choice but to look at you now. Last week, last week we had 300 people hanging out in the room looking at us while we're recording. Now we've got cameras. Mm-hmm. This is a big couple of weeks so for us here exposed, on The Debrief. Pretty yeah. vulnerable. Let me see your hands. Good. Look at that. Oh, steady as a rock this time. Excellent, excellent. I'm going to call well, you Doc Holiday. <laughs> Welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church. Every week, Pastor Matt Brown is bringing real answers to tough questions from the Bible. So I'm your host, Justin Pardee, here with my pals. Oh, I'm Stephanie Key. Exactly. And of course, we're here with Pastor Matt Brown. Yeah, the PMB. You feeling pretty good about this episode? Yeah. You like the new setup? I love the new setup. Did Stephanie play you that song the guy sent to us? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got that coming. Oh, we'll, man. I we'll bring it. that for you listeners soon. Oh, so oh cool. listeners and really watchers. Cool. How are we going to say that the right way? Listeners and watchers. Viewers? V- uh, Viewers. Friends? YouTubers? Everybody? We'll bring that to you, everybody, soon. Everybody. We're talking about something you don't know about yet, but soon you will know, and you'll be happy. How's that? I, I like listeners. Yeah. Listeners? All right. I got weirdly vague. Uh, okay, fair enough. Well, hey, we are here in our new studio. We've also got headphones on. This is the first time we've mm-hmm. ever done that, so we're hearing our own selves just as you are. Yeah. That's a little bit new. We're making some adjustments. It makes me less, less self-conscious about my ears. Oh, that's good. Because no, nobody can see, nobody them. Can see them. Problem solved. Yes. Ding. I can turn your volume down as much as I want. So mm-hmm. nice. Exactly. And now we, uh, we're we new to video. We're super excited about that. So just so you guys know, the podcast is not going away. We're staying that way, but we're just adding video every single week for those of you guys to be able to tune in. And I guess there was a high demand of seeing our faces in addition to just hearing our voices. Yeah. So people know when Justin and I accidentally matched for work today. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, thanks for the memo. Denim on denim. Sorry, dude. Sorry. We Can asked we asked Tammy, but she we found out she doesn't dress you. I actually don't own a denim shirt. Man, dude, well, you gotta be it's it's all the rage in twenty sixteen. Two K seventeen. Man in black, bro. <laughs> well, listen, we got a new YouTube channel coming up where you will be able to find all of our shows every single week and subscribe. And here's the deal. We want to make it really easy for you guys to find that uh, show on YouTube, but we can't yet because we need 100 subscribers out there to validate us as an awesome and wonderful show. So here's the big thing that we want to ask each of you guys to do before we jump into the show today. Go to our Facebook page. You can find us on Facebook at The Debrief Show. Uh, Probably our most recent post around the time that you're looking at this is going to be a link over to our YouTube channel. Please head on over there and click that subscribe button. If you see a video posted, definitely leave us a comment. That would be super helpful. But once we get 100 subscribers, we can make it a whole lot easier uh, for everybody else to find the show. So if you can please head on over, be one of the first 100 to subscribe to The Debrief Show, and we will reward you with a future high five. Just let us know you're one of those people that subscribed right off the bat anytime you see us in public. And I promise all three of us will be willing to high five you. I made a promise on behalf of you guys. Is that okay? I guess. Okay, sounds good. Well, Pastor Matt, you told everyone in church this weekend you wanted them to listen to this episode of The Debrief because what we believe about God is so important, and even a lot of Christians get that wrong. So we're going to get into all of that, but before we do, we've got some off-topic and some follow-up questions we're going to jump into with. We sure do. So we're going to start off. Our first question comes from Devin, who's in this at debrief.show on our website. He says, I recently joined a small group and have been opening up and letting other people speak into my life, but it seems like the other members still keep me at an arm's length. Makes me feel foolish to continue trying to reach out and constantly be rejected. What are some ways I can form connections with people when I still feel new? Yeah, Devin, thanks. That's a great question. Hmm. So we're going to get into this when we get into the Real With Others segment of the vision in the next couple of weeks. But you just have to remember, so so God is relational. We're all learning. All of us are in process. Uh, all of us are at different levels. And think of you know relational brokenness in terms of degrees. You know, not all of us are relationally broken in the same way. Mm-hmm. That's why some people connect more easily with God. You know, where other people freak out. How do you sit in a room and pray to God for you know an hour? I can't do that for thirty seconds. Well, there's more relational work for that person to do. So the same thing is in community groups or small groups. And so Devin, you know, the honest truth is, is I don't know is is your um, disconnect from the group uh, a product of your brokenness? Because, you know, I don't know you, I'm not sitting in your group. Or is it the product of 
your small group's uh, brokenness. And the reality is it's probably a combination of both. Um, so what I would encourage you to do is to continue to seek out people who are intentional about looking to invite people into their lives and find that. And, and let's just be honest, not every small group at Sandals is going to be uh, an open place where they are looking for friendship and deeper relationship as you all push towards God. I wish they all were. You know, Sandals is not a perfect church. None of our groups are perfect. You know, the sermons aren't perfect on the weekends. Uh, this podcast, although close, not perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Devin, my heart goes out to you. You know, I've probably been, I've been at Sandals Church longer than anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've probably been in, I don't know, I would say five to 10 small groups. I actually need to count at some point in time. Some of our small groups have been fantastic. Some of them have been awful. And um, so don't judge, you know, God's desire for you to be in relationship with this community based upon the current small group that you're in. And just know you're going to have various seasons and experiences within community group. And all of that's a part of your process because part of growing in relationship is a growing in relationship with people who are broken. That's part of it. I mean, if you get into a group and everything's easy, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this community thing's easy. It's not easy. And so part of loving people like Christ loves people is pushing through their relational brokenness, their issues, and learning to love them. So, you know, the world has friends, right? Oh, I got these friends and we hang out. We have all these things in common. We like doing all the same things. And they feel like that's the kind of relationship that God wants them to have. No, that's the kind of relationship that non-Christians have. The kind of relationships that we have with Christians is, is we connect with people that we wouldn't normally connect with. And we love people that we wouldn't maybe normally love because the bond that we have is Christ, not you know, our, our passions, our political party, um, you know, what we like to do for vacation, but the, the core issue that draws us together is Christ. And so I just think that it's so important. And that's one, one of the reasons, you know, why church still struggles with, you know, being so segregated on the weekends is because, you know, black people like to hang out with black people and worship and white people like to hang out with, and that breaks God's heart. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is we need to reach out and we need to, you know, uh, worship with, pray with, uh, and befriend with people who are not like us and who come from, you know, different places and, and different opinions and, and different worldviews and different realities and experiences. And that, in that process, we get to see a different part of who God is as He works in and through them. And that's why, you know, Jesus, uh, He had 12 disciples. One of them was Judas. There's something about Judas's brokenness that helped the disciples learn about God's goodness. And that's just huge. And we need to understand that. So I think what we all tend to do is, oh, that's Judas. I need to push that person away. And sometimes we do with healthy boundaries. But usually there's something that the Judas in my life is going to teach me about myself. Mm-hmm. And so what did, what did Judas bring out uh, in Jesus? How good he was. He loved him just like everybody else. And we don't know that when we feel like a Judas, that Jesus is going to love us except for Judas. And so just know that in the brokenness of the people you know, in your small group, they're going to bring something special and unique about God. And I think that's so huge and so important. And um, so we'll get into that in the next couple weeks. That's a great question, Devin. Don't give up. Keep trying. Thank you so much for trying to live out the vision. I appreciate you. I wish everybody was as passionate at Sandals and all our debrief listeners about pursuing relationship. You know, so much of Christianity today is fraudulent. It's a fraudulent version of Christianity. It's like me and Jesus. Well, mm-hmm. that's that's not what Jesus is about. You know, people think, they need Jesus. The problem is they don't ask, what does Jesus think I need? Jesus thinks you need Jesus people. And that's the reality. We all need Jesus people. And um, and a lot of Christians, you know, they, they gravitate towards non-Christian friends because those friends don't challenge you in the way that you need to grow. And that's why you like them. They don't, they don't, they don't make you feel guilty. They don't, they don't challenge you to be better. They don't encourage you. You know, they're not praying for you. And that's why, that's why you go there because you don't want to be challenged. So you need to be in a small group where people love you enough to tell you the truth. Um, because ultimately, man, what we're all trying to do here is what Paul says in Philippians 3, work out our salvation, you know, with fear and trembling. This is a beautiful gift that God's given us, and we need to not, you know, uh, take it for granted. So Marcella wrote in, and she asked a question on the debrief show as well. She did. She said, now this one's actually really interesting, because I feel like this is going to be top of mind for a lot of us right now. It says, I know we're supposed to respect our leaders, specifically those in office, but is it wrong to oppose them? I see so many Christians saying we need to stop being disrespectful and pray for our leaders, when it, especially when it's concerning all of the recent protests. Is it really wrong to participate in things like this if there are issues that I feel are unjust? No, you know, so, I mean, one of the beautiful things that we um, get to do in America, you know, we live in a democracy, we get to express our opinions and mm-hmm. we get to vocalize, you know, how we feel. And, and, that, and that's one of the beautiful things that we do. Um, you know, however, in, in the current day of social media, you know, I mean, everybody's opinion is constantly thrown in our face and we know how everybody feels. And um, I, I just would say, yeah, absolutely, you can go and do that, but be careful. 
you know, it, it just was interesting to me, you know, some of the protests that I saw in the news, you know, protesting some of the things that, you know, uh, President Trump has said and done. Yeah, the, they're vile. And then I'm looking at all these protesters with their vile slogans and their disgusting things that they had written. And, you know, and I'm seeing children present and that breaks my heart. You know, if it's wrong for President Trump to do it, why are you doing it? And why are you teaching your kid that? And so here's the current problem I see with politics is it's kind of like sports. Um, in sports, you know, you can have an idiot on your team as long as he's on your team. But when he gets traded, you're like, oh, now, then all of a sudden you get moral principles. And, and that's the thing that breaks my heart is, you know, just because somebody's a Democrat or Republican doesn't mean that you should be outraged at what they do. You should be outraged at what they do because it's either moral or immoral. And so um, I absolutely think that you should, you should protest, but, but ask yourself this question. Am I doing this because this is a popular protest or because this is a biblical issue? And so part of the problems and one of the challenges that I face in addressing these issues as the pastor, you know, of one of the largest churches in America now is there's a lot of things that uh, President Obama did in his eight years of offense that I, I chose not to protest. I chose not to make a big deal about. And the reason for that is this, the gospel is offensive enough. Mm-hmm. And if I have to choose between somebody being offended by what I've said or what Jesus said, I want them to be offended by what Jesus said. And so there were a lot of things where I chose to not address those issues. And there's going to be a lot of things that Donald Trump does that I choose to not address. Because at the end of the day, what I want to do with my you know, liberal friends and my conservative friends is I want to lead them to Jesus. And so just really, really make sure you know that you're not getting caught up in emotion. You're not getting caught up in what's popular right now. And this, this weird thing, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it, it's like everybody has to have an opinion about everything now. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it, it's really kind of giving me a, a distaste for social media. It's just like, man, I just want to know yeah. if you, you and your kids went to ice cream. Like, I, you know, if, <laughs> if, I want a, if I want a political speech, I'll turn on CNN. I, I don't care about your rant. I care mm-hmm. about you and your family and you know, what's going on in your life. That's why I follow you. I, I'm, not, I'm following you for political guidance, you know? Um, it's just a really, really tough time. And I think people are feeling pressured to post all this stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just weird. It's, you know, even like now when somebody dies, everybody's Instagram page is now this tribute to this person that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And maybe you watched their movie once or you played their record once. It's like, yeah, I appreciate them too, but I'm following you for you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, and I mean, maybe it's appropriate if it affected you deeply or something. And I want to hear about that, but it's just, it's just a really, really weird time right now in our culture where everybody's opinions and emotions are right there for all of us to see it. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I think that sometimes we need to take a, you know, a seat back. And I, I know I've been really grateful for Stephanie in my life because I've made a couple of posts where all of a sudden I get a text, hey, <laughs> do you really want to post that? And I'm like, no, you know, and I take it <laughs> off. So Let's pull that down. Stephanie's like my, the, the physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit in my life. You know, she's just like, what do you think about that? You know, so we all need a Stephanie. Everybody needs a Stephanie in their life. That's like, don't do that. So, you know, you know, be careful again, um, you know, because no political party, no political stance is going to represent the heart of Jesus in everything. And so that's the problem is, you know, when, when we find these movements, there might be a portion of what they're saying or what they're doing that I agree with, but there's this huge other side that's completely contrary to what the Bible says. And so I have a really hard time to participate in those events. And even amongst Christians, you know, my Christian friends on the left and the right, I have a hard time um, agreeing with them on wholeheartedly on, on anything, because I think in some areas they're right and in some areas they're wrong. And um, that's just me. If you're a new listener to the show, we actually did a special bonus episode of The Debrief last November 2016 during the election, right as that was coming to an end. And uh, you can find that online at debrief.show. And if you scroll down, you'll find it right there, I think at the end of the 30s episodes. And uh, Pastor Matt did a much deeper dive into how it is that we engage both personally as Christians and as a church in politics and stuff. So if you're interested, go check that one out. So we've got a related question here from Eva and Kyle. They wrote in on Facebook and sent us a message. They said, with everything that's going on, with the country no longer taking refugees into the United States, we've seen a lot of people quoting Matthew 25, 35 through 40, which starts off saying, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So as Christians, where does God call us to stand on this issue? Yeah, this is another one of those issues that's so complicated. And oftentimes, and this is what breaks my heart, is our passions are often more politically motivated than they are biblically motivated. So the first thing I would say is you really, really need to wrestle through with what the Bible says. Um, So I'm glad that you brought up that verse. Uh, What was it, Matthew what? Uh, 
25. 25, there you go. I scrolled yeah. away from Matthew it. Matthew 25. And it's one of the most misoften misquoted verses. Um, Jesus is not talking about uh, refugees in, in this instance, unless they're Christians. The, what he's talking about here is, he says, they say, when did I see you naked? When did I see you in prison? When did I see you sick? And then he says, when you've done the least of these to my brethren, my brothers. This is a call for God's, for us to affirm God's special care and love for the church. God has a unique relationship with the church. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about um, the Syrian refugee crisis. He does. He loves them. He wants them to turn uh, from Islam in many cases to the one true God and place their faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for them. He does love them and he's extended that love. But for those who've repented of their sins and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they sit in a unique relationship with God. They are the children of God. So we are all created in God's image, but we are not all God's children. And that's something that we need to understand. So just know that that, that verse is thrown out there all the time. I actually wrote about this in my um, Bible study series. You can pick it up at Lifeway Christian Bookstores. It's called um, Identity. And I wrote about this and I got some pushback from the authors because, or, or from uh, Lifeway Publishing because they felt like I was wrong. And I was like, no, 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 I'm right. You guys are wrong. This text has nothing to do with just caring for the world. There are texts that tell us to care for the world. So how does God feel about refugees? He loves them. He cares for them. Uh, they, they, you know, he created them to, 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 to know him and to be loved by him. But that verse in particular is about caring for your Christian brothers and sisters. And here's why that's important right now. Right now in the world today, as we speak, Christians are the most persecuted religion. More of them are dying than any other uh, religion in the world right now. And that should bother us. And we mm -hmm. should be offended by that. Literally by the thousands, people are being beheaded simply because they proclaim the name of Christ and that breaks God's heart. And so we need to do something about that. Um, we need to care for those Christians. And so in that sense, I think that we should affirm uh, some of what Trump has said, that Christians in the Middle East will get some special preference, they're, that they're gonna have to battle that out in the courts, um, you know, because the constitution does say there shall be no religious test. It's something that we're gonna have to figure out. You know, the United States is, is entering into a, a weird time where a lot of what our problem is in the world right now, and, and, and this is, I mean, this is World War III. This is what this is. It's affecting everyone globally. Uh, you know, there's a disease within Islam that is rampant in the Middle East. It is there. It is affecting them. You know, the Middle East has changed dramatically over the last 50 or 60 years, uh, where this radicalized version of Islam, you know, that believes that Sharia law gives them the permission to dominate the world and to force others to submit to that. And, and, and they believe it's okay for me to kill you, beat you, harm you, hurt you. And they feel licensed to do that. That's a problem. Now, are all Muslims that way? No. You know, I know some Muslim people just talked to uh, uh, one of my Muslim friends today at the gym. Great guy. Doesn't agree with that. That's, that's fine. Love him. Appreciate him. So um, it, it, it's a unique challenge. And so I think, uh, you know, President Trump handled this clum clumsily. Is that a word? Mm -hmm. I we'll think take it. hopefully he'll learn. He'll grow from that experience, you know, as he processes this. But as I understand it, you know, and I'm not a politician and it's not my desire to be one. It's a temporary ban. Uh, it's something that needs to be worked out. They need to vet it more seriously. But I hope and pray that refugees will always be welcome in our country. But here's the issue. You know, so many of you guys want to go out and protest. Here's the reality. We already have refugees in our country. So don't just go out and protest. Go do something. What are you doing with the Syrian refugees who are already here? who don't speak the language, who don't understand. Most of them, however, you know, for us at, at, in uh, Riverside are in Orange County in Los Angeles, but we do have people at our church who are working with them, trying to help them, feed them, clothe them, you know, take care of them. They don't speak any English oftentimes. Mm -hmm. They have, America is a completely foreign culture, uh, you know, because uh, Barack Obama did allow, you know, many of them to come in. It's a huge crisis. Uh, and we need to pray for our world leaders because ultimately what happens, and, and here's, here's my prayer, is it's not just that they need to come here. We need to fix their home. You know, they, what's best for them ultimately is to go back to Syria. But for that to happen, there needs to be peace, security, and safety. And the world leaders need to get serious about making that happen. And uh, I mean, there's a reason we have this refugee crisis because nobody did deal, dealt with uh, Bashar Assad. That's mm -hmm. a problem. Uh, as a country, we drew a red line in the sand and then we did nothing. That creates, that creates a crisis. And it has affected the most amount of people since World War II. I mean, this is something that is epidemic and it's sad. Now, having said that, God's in this. Because for the first time, you know, we, we support the International Mission Board. The International Mission Board is on the ground. Uh, they're, they're working in the refugee camps. Many Christians are there. And we have the opportunity for the first time uh, to freely share the gospel and to freely share God's love and God's hope with these people. And that's fantastic. And we should support that. Um, I don't think that the long-term solution is for everybody to come here. 
uh, because it's a different country. And that creates unique challenges for us here in America. Many uh, Middle Eastern cultures don't believe that women should be educated. So they come here in mass and they don't send their girls to school. It creates huge problems for us. It's not all Muslims, but some communities, it creates a problem because 30 years from now, you're going to have all of these women who haven't gone to school. So it's, it's creating challenges here. So I think the best long-term solution is obviously we need to take some refugees in. I hope and pray that Donald Trump will figure that out. But ultimately what needs to happen is there needs to be peace in the Middle East. And that's what we need to pray for. And we need to pray that Syria, you know, is dealt with. Uh, these ISIS people, Al-Qaeda, these, these things need to be dealt with because ultimately they're the ones killing these people and driving them out. So it's a complex issue. Uh, it's, it's a heartbreaking issue. And, you know, uh, I mean, I've been around 45 years and it seems like everything, you know, that America does often seems to complicate the issue and make it worse. And, mm-hmm. you know, I certainly don't want to do any more funerals of, you know, our young sandals men that go over there to fix it because I've buried many of them. And it's some of the most heart breaking experiences, you know, in my life. Well, I watch a mother be handed a flag for her 19-year-old son or 20-year-old son, or in one case, a 23-year-old wife mm-hmm. with a four-month-old baby. I got to see her get a flag. I mean, those are those are really, really heartbreaking moments. And so, um, you know, the solution, unfortunately, is probably a military one. You know, there's some, some things can't be discussed and talked out. And that's why you have what you have here. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, just keep praying for everybody and just know it's a complex solution. And again, um, I don't think I said this, but if you're conservative, engage your heart. If you're liberal, make sure that you're engaging reason. And that's what I see. Those on the right tend to not have the heart issue. Yeah, you got all your facts right, but look, these are people. But if you're on the right or on the left, oftentimes you're all emotional and you're all upset. But let, let, let's use some reason here. Um, let's, 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 let's engage our minds a little bit and understand the scope of what's happening here. You know, the media, unfortunately, um, is just not credible. Even this week here in Riverside, we had an event that happened where uh, a young person lost their life. Mm -hmm. And I know, because I dealt with the investigators and the detectives, I know what happened. I watched the media story and I turned to my wife and I said, they're not telling the truth. The entire story was a lie. It was not based upon truth at all. And I just sat there and I'm like, nobody questioned them. Everybody's just like, oh, okay, this is what, and that's not what happened at all. And I know because I talked to the detective, you know, he probably shouldn't have told me what's going on, but I'm his pastor and he was trying to work through it. It blew my mind. It literally blew my mind. And I was just like, wow. And this is something that happened in our community mm-hmm. and it's not real. And I just was looking at my wife. I'm like, this, this is sad. This is not news. This is a story, but it's not news. And, um, you know, it just, it really, it really affected me because I mean, it's in our community. Yeah. Um, so, so just know, you know, um, you know, people are reporting a perspective and, and I, I hope and pray that we can get to the place where those on the left and the right report the news because I think it would be helpful for everybody. So That part is truth for sure. Okay, so we've got some follow-up questions from the last couple of episodes and sermons. John wrote in and says, after your sermon on core struggles, I felt that I struggled with fear. I have a fear that I will not be the man God has called me to be. I also fear that I do not know who I'm supposed to be. I worked hard to graduate college over a year ago, and since then it has been nothing but rejection after rejection from all different types of jobs. How do I know what job I should take and pursue? And how do I know that this is where God wants me? Yeah. What was his name? John. John. Thanks, John. I'm, I'm guessing you're a millennial, so I want to welcome you. We love our millennials. Look, man, millennials are facing a, a crisis of epic proportions. Um, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to you. Uh, in many, many ways, you know, you guys have been lied to. You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. There's some great, great podcasts, some great TED Talks on on the barriers that millennials face. And, you know, we ought to actually do a talk on that at some point on the debrief. It would be fantastic. And so here, here's what I would say is, um, you know, I don't know what your degree is, but one of the most challenging aspects of modern college degrees is they don't help you get jobs. So that's, that's the biggest challenge is... Um, you know, my degree is in political science. I'm not a political scientist. What was your degree? Sociology. Sociology, which she is kind of studying us every day. <laughs> yeah. I feel like she's judging us. Yeah, but I definitely never worked in anything related yeah, yeah. to that. So. And then what was your degree? Communications. Well, oh, okay, there you go. Home I was run. strategic, guys. I was yeah. strategic. Home run. Can't count, but you can't communicate. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry. We had a little episode earlier in the pre-brief. Just because I got to bust out a calculator to do some simple subtraction. To multiply one times a thousand. And then a thousand times 50. Yep. Yeah, that actually happened. Okay. <laughs> money well spent on your college education, a little more time in math class. Anyways, look, here's what I would say is the first thing you need to do is to get a job. So one of the great lies of modern culture is that your job is to make you happy. Your job is to provide for you. I mean, 
what you need to do is put a roof over your head, put food in your mouth. And then if you're blessed to be able to have a little extra money to do vacation or whatever, that's great. But you got to work, man. You know, when I started Sandals Church, guess what I did for a job? Whoever would hire me. That's what I did. Because Sandals Church didn't pay. It, I mean, it didn't. Mm-hmm. I actually, Tammy and I actually paid. We, we were the church's budget when we first started out. So I would just encourage you to find something, um, you know, sit down with some friends that know you and love you and find out what you might be good at. And, and you know, just find a job that, that can support you. And so I'm sorry that you're going for, you might be going for things that are outside of your league right now, but that doesn't mean they're outside of your league forever. So one of the challenges of millennials is they know where they want to go, but they don't know how to do the climb. So there's a challenge, you know, they're sitting at the bottom of the mountain and they see the peak and they want to go to the peak immediately, but they don't understand. They have to traverse, right, all this stuff for years. So a lot of millennials that, oh, I'm going to be a pastor and I'm going to start a church just like Sandals. I'm like, well, okay, well, start now. And 20 years later, let's talk because that's how long it's taken me to get here. And that's some of the best advice uh, Pastor Greg Laurie gave me years ago. You know, I was sitting in his uh, office and we're overlooking, you know, the beautiful campus they have, you know, over there off Arlington. And he said, Matt, it took 35 years to do this. He said, it won't happen overnight. You just have to stay faithful, keep working and keep trying. And that's what I would say to you is don't be overly discouraged. There's going to be a lot of no's, a lot of no's. When I started Sandals Church, I heard no everywhere I went. No, 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 no. And you just got to know that, you know, if you just stay faithful and you, and you just keep working, I'm telling you, eventually it'll work out. And so find a job that you can work in, you can advance in. And again, don't be looking for your career when you're in your 20s. Be looking for a job as you figure out who you are so that you can launch your career. I didn't figure out I wanted to be a pastor until I was about 26 years old, which interestingly enough, scientists tell us that's about when your mind is done growing. So your brain finishes growing uh, at about 26. And I was like, I know I'm supposed to be a pastor and that's what I'm supposed to do. I had hints of that growing up, but it wasn't until I was 26. I was like, yep, that's what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So give yourself some time. And some of you are like, I'm 40, is my mind not fully developed? Well, you know, we just talked about you know, with the political question, th- th- this is uncharted territory. I mean, we got to figure this out. We, we, it's, it's a new world, man. Globalization and people are everywhere and cultures are everywhere. Well, guess what? The economy's changing. And, you know, young guys like this are competing with 2.4 billion, you know, young men and women from China and India. When, when I was coming out of school, I didn't have to challenge, I didn't have to compete with them. You do. So it, it's a challenge. And so just get the job that you can and, um, you know, just start working and just keep believing. And, you know, um, Stephanie, your, what was your first job out of college? You uh, were for public a, relations. Public relations for yeah. a law firm, though, right? It was a private PR firm. Oh, but private. yeah, but yeah, coming straight out of college, getting into that job, which was a great career job. Like you tell everyone, like, oh, I'm a PR executive. It sounds great, but like, those are some of the hardest years of my life because I came out of college thinking, oh, great, I'm gonna have this career. I'm gonna do this thing, and it was hard work. Like it was a lot of just trudging through, showing up every day, getting used to working every single day of the week. Where before, you know, you're in college, you can kind of set your own schedule and. Those are some really hard years. And I, what I tell everyone who's like about to graduate college or uh, has just graduated to just stick it out. Like those years are tough, yeah. regardless of the job you get. Even if it's your dream job, it it's probably going to suck. Yeah. Like it's going to be a lot of great stuff, but it's a lot of just trudging through getting through. But a lot of what's happening there is you're getting skills and talent and maturity like driven into you really. Yeah. For me, I think it was easy because I started off with the worst job ever. I was in the army. Oh God. And it was like, I remember telling my dad, I'm tired of listening to you. I'm going to go do what I want to do. <laughs> so I joined the army where <laughs> just so you know, FYI, you do not get to do what you no want to do. There. They don't care about your passions and your desires oh. and your talents. And your feelings. Yeah. Dig that ditch and mm-hmm. shut up. You know, yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. You know, so, yeah. so that really helped me um, to realize who I wanted to be. And just know that every job you're in, you're learning. Mm-hmm. You're learning. So when I was, uh, you know, my first job was a youth pastor, I was learning what kind of church I wanted to plant. What did I want it to look like? So everything, you know, that I was experiencing at this, you know, small Baptist church in Huntington Beach, you know, I was learning, okay, I like that. I don't like that. I'm going to be like that. I'm not going to be like that. And just just keep learning. Never stop learning and don't give up. And uh, I, I think that you're going to do great. So great question. And I'm sorry, I'll be praying for you. And I have, you know, a bunch of kids that are millennials. So I, I want to add on one other little thing here, which is when, as Pastor Matt encourages you to go get a job that covers the basics, man, take whatever that, I think you should take whatever that passion is, whatever that thing that you really want to do with the rest of your life, and then figure out a way to do that in the off time. And one of the great ways to do that is honestly by joining the team here at Sandals Church, right? If you're, you want to be a, you know, super famous designer or something, start volunteering here. We'll give you real projects that have an impact on thousands of people Mm -hmm. and you can build up a meaningful meaningful portfolio. Mm -hmm. You, You know, you want to be a big shot financial analyst, come work with our volunteer team during 
during the days on your day off, come here, hang out with our accounting team and get actual practical experience, real life recommendations in these areas. You know, I'm thinking I've got one guy who was in my community group for a long time and started off really shy, struggled with some anxiety and things like that, but then stepped up to the plate, started leading a you know, leading his own community group here at Sandals Church. And through that, developed some of the skills and experience he needed to actually, you know, take a step from like a trades type job into a more career path. And now he's like out there hustling as a salesman, taking care of his wife financially, all those things. And he developed a lot of those skills and experiences through um, being a part of the team here at Sandals Church. So I'm not saying that because we were trying to get new volunteers. I'm just saying that because it's a real opportunity and God's going to be on your side. Yeah. You know, when you come to start volunteering, I think he's going to bless the work that you do here. Yeah. So. Well, and even just having something that you're focused on outside of your job all day. Because I remember like going to work, you know, 40, 50 hours a week, but I served a ton at Sandals Church during totally. that time. And it was really fun to come here, get to do something that I enjoyed after work was really great too. So I wasn't always focused on, oh, I went to work all day. I'm going to go home and wait until I go to work tomorrow. Like yeah. I was out here doing stuff at Sandals Church and it was really fun. Cool. All right, let's get in and debrief your sermon. So you opened up your messages last weekend with the story of Moses meeting God in the burning bush and said it was the most important encounter with God in the history of man. So I was not here this weekend. I was at home, barely alive on the couch, chock full of medication. So there's a chance that I missed how you connected the dot on this particular one. Uh, but can you really help us understand, man, why was this encounter with Moses and God here so important? Right. And so here's the thing is everything we know about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Adam, Eve, uh, Noah, mm-hmm. um, you know, Abraham, Lot, all of those individuals, we only know about them because of Moses. So Moses is the one who commissions all of those stories to be written down, those stories to be told and retold, God's law, all of that stuff comes from this moment in the wilderness where his life, like our, our, our last uh, listener wrote in, is not going the way that he wanted it to go. He was right. struggling, figuring out, you know, you know, I was trained as a prince of Egypt <laughs> and he's, you know, and he's, he's literally cleaning up sheep poo. I mean, yeah. that's, that's what he's doing, not finding a lot of meaning and purpose. And, you know, he's married. He doesn't even get to live with his wife. I mean, he's out in the wilderness with sheep. That, that's his life. And in this moment in the wilderness, uh, and the text is clear way out in the wilderness. So not, and so not where he wanted to go, not where he wanted to be, not where he saw his life going. God met him in a powerful way. And so God meets him in this burning bush. And from this moment, the history of the world has changed from this moment because God finds uh, this this amazing leader, this gifted person, right? Who is, uh, you know, his political pedigree is, is incredible, right? You know, he's Harvard trained, Yale trained. This is who Moses is. And God finds him out in the wilderness, washed up, wasting away. Yeah. And God uses him to dramatically lead the people of Israel. And Moses is probably one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. I mean, mm-hmm. if, when you look at what he did, right? He leads a nomadic group of people who don't know how to exist in the wilderness because they've lived under, you know, the slavery of Egypt, but there was also some comforts there. Totally. Uh, and they complain about that in Numbers and Deuteronomy. Oh, we don't get melons anymore and we don't get this anymore. And we're tired of eating manna that comes from heaven. So we got to get that honeydew. Yeah, yeah that honeydew melon. So um, there were some comforts that came from that. Um, there were some negatives too. They killed all your firstborn children. You know? Yeah, right. Um, you know, uh, you were beaten and, and raped and, and, and those unfortunate things happened. So um, they... Uh, this this moment, this right, th- this is the moment where we begin to understand who God is, and and th- the reason we need to know who it is is because so much of what I was talking about this weekend, you know, God is relational. How does He introduce Himself? You know, everybody focuses on you know Moses say, well, who should I say sent me? Well, I am. Everybody focuses on that, but when God meets Abraham, or excuse me, when God meets Moses, He says, I'm the God of your father, mm-hmm. and that's just so important because yeah, Moses, you've drifted from your faith. You're, he's probably practically living, you know, like an atheist, maybe like a Midianite. Um, we, we don't know, mm-hmm. but he's not in union and communion with his family heritage. Maybe he was still practicing the religion of you know, Egypt, or Egypt that he was raised. Um, and he says, hey, man, I'm the God of your father. So you've, you've, you've moved away from me, but, but I know you. And that just shows God's, God's relational invitation. I knew your dad and I want to know you. And by the way, I, not only did I know your dad, but I knew Abraham, I knew Isaac, and I knew Jacob. I knew all the founding fathers of the tribe of Israel that ultimately ended up in slavery in, in Egypt. I know you guys, and they knew me in a, in a real way. And, um, you know, you think about who Abraham is and who, who Jacob is and who Isaac is. They, they knew God in this powerful, powerful way, in an intimate and personal way. And that's what we see in Genesis. You know, the stories that Moses tells is their interactions. He doesn't tell us their whole life. He tells us their interactions and their struggles with God. So Genesis is this on-ramp. And again, I, I talked about this, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, 
people get all confused and upset. You know, do you believe in six literal days or, you know, is, is the earth only 6,000 years old? And when we ask the wrong questions, we get the wrong answers. And so we ask, how did God create the heavens and the earth instead of why? Mm. And so G- Genesis is really about why. Why are you here and why, why is life so hard? Well, it's hard because God created everything perfect, but you went your own way and you were banished from the promised land. Now we're going to go back into the promised land and we're going to get in this to in, in, in a minute, you know, with the, the next, you know, next question about, you know, rules and regulations, all that stuff. But wh- wh- how do we get as close back to Genesis 3 as we possibly can still in a fallen state? And God's going to communicate that. But this, this is the moment. Um, and Moses is giving us the first real glimpse of who God is that ultimately, so God is relational, ultimately is fulfilled in his son, Jesus Christ, that he sends, who, by the way, is relational. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this happens at Mount Sinai, right? Yeah. Do we, can you place that on a map for us modern day? Yeah. No one knows where it is. You know, there's, it's kind of funny, you know, because through the years, you know, historians have, uh, and, and, uh, theologians have tried to figure out where they think it is. You know, Moses was a great leader, not a great map maker. So he, he wasn't real clear on exactly where everything is. And so there's, there's differentiating points of view of where it is or it isn't. And it's always kind of funny because whenever, you know, people feel like they find it, you know, the Muslims have to build a mosque and, and, and the Jews want to have synagogue there. And the Christians of course need a, you know, a church. Mm-hmm. So to declare that site is their own. And it's, it, we, nobody knows where it, where it is. So. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Yeah. So this next question comes from Wyatt. And he says, this weekend, when you were talking about this encounter between Moses and God, um, you mentioned the burning bush as an example of something being holy because God is there, implying that it doesn't necessarily need to be some spe- spectacular place. So in Exodus 25, 8 and on, God gives very elaborate and specific plans for building the tabernacle. Even Exodus 26, 33 says, this curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place, describing like there are very specific plans that God has. So throughout these chapters, it seems like God is establishing some pretty strict rules for obeying him. How can I reconcile God not wanting religion, but simply wanting to have a relationship with us? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I, I think what God is doing is he's setting us up. So I want you to follow all of these rules specifically. So actually, mm-hmm. let's go before that. It starts with 10, mm-hmm. the 10 rules written mm-hmm. in stone. That doesn't work. They don't do that very well. And then it continues to add, and it goes all the way up to just over 600 specific rules and regulations. And what that shows us is no matter how many rules and regulations that God lays down, we fail at all of them. Because what ultimately needs to change is not the law. What needs to change is our hearts. And so God is is paving the way to communicate to us, right, through the generations of what needs to change in us. And so no matter how much we, you know, um, no matter how many laws we pass or all of these things that take place, our hearts are still far from God. What we need is to be close with God. And this is why God speaks through the prophets and all of this stuff. And I think what specifically is being laid out in the tabernacle and then ultimately in the temple is how far away we are from God. I think they're not pictures of God's, of our closeness to God, but our separation from God. And that's why there's these barriers in the tabernacle. There's these barriers in the temple. And what it's saying is, no matter how hard you try, you're still separate from me. And even, and Moses experiences this. So let's go back to the most important encounter ever. What does Moses do? He hides his face because he's afraid. So in this relational encounter with God, there's a gap. There's something keeping me from my relationship with God. And what is that? It's sin, Moses' sin. And so the tabernacle and the temple was the place where, you know, they did a religious exercise that showed that in order for there to be a relationship with God, there must be death. Something must die. Mm-hmm. And that's what those things, you know, took place there. And so it's not so much the religious exercise that was important. What's important is what, what is the slaughter of the calf mean? What is this, what does the sacrifice mean? And what it means is someone, someone must die in order to have a relationship with God. The problem is my blood is not valuable enough um, to appease the wrath of God. My, my, my blood does not have enough weight. Um, and that's why God gets into the specifics of the kind of animal, the quality of the animal, um, you know, um, the color of, you know, the, uh, the uh, hair on the calf, you know, must be red. And it's, it's like all of these things. And so what it's saying is it has to be a unique sacrifice for God. So what do we see in the gospels? The unique sacrifice has come, the lamb of God who behold, takes away the sin of the world. It's Jesus Christ. So all of that is pointing not to religious rituals. It's pointing to the need for God to save us. Mm -hmm. We need to be saved. And that's what 
I'm not opposed to religion. So I think going to church is great. I mean, obviously, right. I, right, I, I started a church. I think going to church is great. I, I think that some religious exercise is great, not at the expense of relationship. So God is not pleased by me going to church. He's pleased by me loving and knowing him. Mm-hmm. And if that is helped by attending church, which it is, being with others, celebrating God together. Uh, I mean, part of the reason I want to go to church is because God wants me to go to church with his family. You know, my mother always says this, you know, uh, when I'm home, she says, it's good to have you home, but she wishes my brother was there. She wants all her family present. And that's how God feels. God wants all of us there. So it's not just good to see you, Justin, but he wants to see Stephanie, mm-hmm. you know, Elena and even Kelly, who's been banished, you know, um, <laughs> he, he wants to see everyone there. And so religion is a picture that's pointing towards our problem and ultimately the solution of Jesus Christ. And it's very, very specific and very, very clear. And the reason for that is so that we understand we can't do it. So that's my answer to that. And I think it's a great question. And um, you know, that's not to say that rules don't matter. So people are like, oh, it's just rules don't matter. I'm about a relationship. Well, okay, I'm about a relationship with my wife, but you know, the rule of thou shalt not commit adultery matters in my relationship. And if I commit adultery, there's going to be relational consequences in my marriage. And so we need to understand that with God, you don't just get to violate, you know, all of these rules without consequence, because the point of it is he wants a relationship with you. And what sin does every time is it destroys relationship. Mm -hmm. So, and we're going to get into that in our our next uh, series. What is it called? Survival? Relationship Relationship Survival survival Guide. Yeah. Relationship Survival Guide, where we're going to look at why relationship's so hard. And it starts in Genesis 3 and, and, uh, you know, um, Genesis is like a soap opera, man, of just, (laughs) just immoral destruction. So... Well, let's continue on here in Genesis, actually, chapter one, verse 26 uh, says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So you talked about how we really need to understand God's nature um, this weekend. And what you said was most people reject Christianity because they don't actually understand who God is. Uh, So you went into explaining how God is one and three or three and one or something along those lines, the Trinity. Uh, How would you describe the Trinity to or describe God to people who don't understand him yet because the Trinity gets confusing. Yeah, so the way I described it in uh, the weekend message, God is relational. Mm-hmm. He's eternally relational. So um, God is God is a picture of oneness and yet distinctiveness. And so, um, and that's what marriage is a picture of, right? Marriage is, is a picture of two distinct individuals coming together in uh, as one, right? As one person. And that's, that's why God gives us that beautiful, a picture of what marriage is, is to experience the distinctiveness and yet oneness. And so here's the difference is, so in marriage, you know, like Tammy and I, we've been together for 21 years. There was a time when we were not together. Mm-hmm. So here's where the, the, it breaks down. There has never been a time where God was not together. Um, you know, the only exception is probably the moment on the cross when Christ dies. For the first time in all of history, the one eternal God who exists was fractured. Mm-hmm. So, so God fractured himself so that he could heal his fractured relationship with us. I mean, isn't that amazing? I mean, he stabbed his own heart to redeem ours. So that's who God is. And so people need to understand. And again, this is why I say it matters that the Muslim knows about Jesus. It matters to the Hindu that they know about Jesus because this is who our God is. The one eternal God who has coexisted for all time as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has eternally been a union of oneness, literally divorced himself from the Son on the cross Right? And what does Jesus cry out? He doesn't say, Father, Father, why are you killing me? He says, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? The eternal Son of God, for the first time in all eternity, had God the Father turn his back on him. Why? So he could turn towards us. It, it, that, that's, why, that's why a Muslim needs to know who Jesus is. Because, you know, uh, you know, Allah is not God. God the Father is God, who sent his Son. And in Islam, Allah does not have a son. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He has a prophet named Jesus, uh, but they reject the death of Christ. They reject it. Why? Because the Muslim says God would never do that to his prophet. The Christian says, yes, he did. Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And that's what the Muslim is missing is the eternal love that God has within himself and that he shares with us, even though we're separated uh, from God by sin, which in that case, you know, the Muslim agrees with that, that they're separated from God by sin. And so what do they do? They do all these religious things to appease God and to hopefully be deemed righteous, uh, you know, um, in front of God as a submitted one, which is what uh, uh, Islam means, submitted one on the day of judgment. And oh, by the way, Muslims believe that Jesus Christ will carry out the day of judgment. 
So, mm-hmm. which they're right, he will. So Jews, that Jews reject Jesus because they too struggle with why did he die? What, what the Messiah doesn't die. The Messiah rules and reigns. The Messiah brings peace, and he will. But first, he's brought the offer of repentance. So, wow, I went way out there. On well, that you were tonight. saying even this morning that you, a lot of Christians maybe get this wrong, or people who think they're Christians, they think that they have a relationship with God, but really what they have is what you were calling an arrangement. Yeah, and and that's what I think a religion is. Religion's an arrangement. And so even like people say, well, I'm a spiritual person. Well, what you have is an, an arrangement that you have decided. Mm-hmm. This is how God and I will interact. Well, who are you? And, and that's the issue is, is as human beings, we need to understand who we are and who God is, which is where the first point is, if I'm going to have a real relationship with God, I must admit his supremacy. I have to say, you are supreme. I am not God. Um, and you see that all throughout the book of Job, right? That's what the, I was just thinking. Yeah, I'm the, almost the book of Job, Job, I think it's like 31 times Job says he's God Almighty. Mm-hmm. And so what does Job say? W- w- will I take good from God and not bad? Why? Because Job knows who God is. God is the supreme. And so, uh, a lot of Christians, you know, get, get waffly on this. We're so grateful when God gives us a son, but if we lose one, oh, who's God? Mm-hmm. And God is supreme. And in all things, he is almighty. He is the one, he is the unmoved mover, and we must submit to him. And, you know, we're losing that in Christianity because we don't know who he is. He is one and he is good and he will redeem all things. And I believe replace all things and everything will be made right. Just like at the end, what does Job get? Everything back and better. Mm-hmm. And that's a picture of who God is. Look, all this suffering that you've gone through, you know, has a point, um, but God is supreme. And and by the way, Satan is not equal. You know, in that story, right? He has to go to God constantly with permission to afflict Job. So, um, you Spoiler know. alert, by the way, I'm only in chapter 34 of Job right now. And you oh, just yeah. ruined those last 13 chapters. Yeah, he's just giving he, you some hope. He's in a rough small group too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting uh, at the very end after he's been complaining and it seems like, well, he's been not been complaining. His, his friends are jerks, but he's been saying all this stuff. But then another guy comes in and is like, oh yeah, you're, and you're totally prideful by the way too. Yeah. Super arrogant. Yeah. While you're in the middle of this really hard time, I think <laughs> yeah. it's time to tell you that uh, you're a little prideful, buddy. Well, his wife tells him to curse God and die. So that's encouraging. Yeah, it's uh, sorry, sorry, buddy. But <laughs> well, now I know the ending. So yeah. God is relational. So that's, that's what you need to know is, is, is God is relational. And this is so huge for your understanding of who God is and your understanding of what you're supposed to do. This is why Christians are like, oh yeah, me and God are good. I don't go to church. They don't know who God is. God is not alone as the Muslim believes. I alone am God. And even as the Jew, God is alone and supreme by himself. So we talked about the Shema, hero Israel, the Lord your God is ones is what it means in Hebrew. He's ones, he's one God, but he's one. So we're not uh, polytheistic in that we believe in many gods. We're monotheistic. We believe in one God who eternally exists in the context of a threefold relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And right, you're like, well, that's weird. Yeah, God is distinct. There is nothing like God. So there's, th- th- that's why we should be able to affirm this. Um, that, that's who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like you, we have a Jehovah Witness that comes and knocks on your door and they say, well, we believe that Jesus is not God. Well, then he's not God's son, right? What is, what is my son by definition? Tammy and I had a son. He's human, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, not, he's not alien. He's not Martian. He's human. So they're missing the very, very plain language of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, who is by definition, if the king sends his son, the king is of, or the son is of the king. Jesus is of the father. And so he comes to us from God and is God, which is what John 1, 1 says. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just so, so important. And understand this, everything I'm going to press upon you, um, everything that you're going to learn in Sandals Church is God is relational. And so, you know, we need to quit measuring sin simply in terms of I did these good things and I did these bad things. We need to look at sin in terms of how it affects relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Because sin destroys and separates us in relationship. And so what, what God wants us to do as Christians is build our relationship with him and build our relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. So, and by the way, what did Jesus do? Luke two fifty two. Jesus Christ grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God, relationship with God and favor with others. Mm-hmm. Relationship. That's mm-hmm. what Jesus did. And that's what we're to do. And so, so much of the new Testament is about getting along thinking of others as better than yourself, being honest about your estimate and caring for others. Jesus, you know, we're going to get into this in a couple of weeks. You know, first take the plank out of your eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it's relationship, 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 relationship. And so, um, yes, 
uh, we're going to get into this this weekend, some religious practices help us in our relationship, but we can't lose the relationship for the practice. And that's what's happening in denominations. Well, we've always done it this way because historically, you know, uh, like I grew up Baptist, people connected relationally to God through hymns. Sometimes we do at Sound Church, we sing a hymn, but we also connect with him through new songs. Mm-hmm. And so what's so sad is in my Baptist community, they won't give up the tradition, the religious tradition, because they historically connected to God through those things. And what they're losing is the relationship and their kids are losing their relationship and their grandkids are losing their relationship and Baptist churches are closing their doors. It's so sad. And so what's happening in America is the same thing that happened in Europe because people overemphasize the religious practice and not the relationship. Mm-hmm. The churches turn into museums and that's a tragedy. You know, they're not meant to be beautiful. They're meant to beautifully connect people with God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. so on kind of the... Co- the whole topic of being in a relationship with God. And, you know, this whole weekend sermon was about being real with God. And you talked about God's supremacy. We need to acknowledge that God is above us. Um, I think sometimes I can tend to shy away from being real with God, telling God how I actually feel, really letting God in on like really raw moments because I don't want to be disrespectful. I want to acknowledge that God is supreme. He has a plan. He's in charge. How can we kind of connect with God, be real with God where we are and as who we are while still acknowledging that He is God? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just one word, it's respect. You need to be respectful in the way that you talk to God. And I think sometimes as Christians, you know, we talk about, oh, Jesus is my buddy. Yeah, he's also your savior and he's your Lord. Yeah. And so, you know, um, you know, I mean, it just even as, as we interact on staff, you know, I'm your friends, but I'm also your boss. Mm-hmm. And if you forget that, we have a problem. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality. And a lot of people forget that, you know, Jesus is not your boss, he's your Lord, right? The, the gap between boss and Lord is like, you know, infinite, right? It's just huge. It's, it's, it's an immeasurable. And so, you know, I think we come before God and we say, God, this is what I really want. This is how I'm really feeling. God, here's, here's the depth of my frustration. We see that in, in the book of Psalms. The Psalms are real, uh, honest prayers. Some of them are ugly, awful, mm-hmm. d- destructive, terrible, but they're, they're the thoughts and feelings. And then what does the psalmist always come back to? But you are Lord God, and I will trust you. You know, I, I, he always comes back to your God. You'll make this decision. I will trust you and I will follow you um, because God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's the reality. And we don't use that language in America anymore because we don't have a king. We don't have a sovereign. We have a president, right? Who's elected and then we still don't like him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we don't have a sovereign. So we, in our culture, it's hard for us to understand the sovereignty of God and what that means is he's in charge. And um, yeah, I... I'm frustrated with the way that my life is going. And God says, that's because of sin, mm-hmm. you know, both your sin and the sin that others have committed. And, uh, you know, that's the thing that's so sad about sin is that we're born into sin and the way we deal with sin is by sinning. It's just, it's so destructive. And that's why Romans says, do not repay evil for evil. Is somebody has to stop the madness. And so we have to be careful that even in our, um, you know, rebuke of God or our challenge of God, not rebuke, you know, it says Job, in his frustration, it says, did not sin. Mm-hmm. He didn't sin. He was frustrated. He was upset. He was angry. He didn't understand. It didn't make sense. In that, he did not sin. And that's what we need to make sure that we do, you know, that, that we don't sin. And, and um, we just say, okay, God, I don't understand this. I'm frustrated with this. But at the end of the day, I'm going to submit to you because you're God and I'm not. And that's what it means to worship God. You know, worshiping God isn't something you do when you agree with what he's doing. Worshiping God and submitting to God, submission is something that happens when you don't agree. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. And um, I think as Christians, that's really, really hard for us. And most people um, bail on Christianity when it comes time to submit. And, um, you know, that's why I try to use this language that, you know, for most people, the salvation process is a journey. And when we define it as, you know, it's happened or it hasn't, and we, we put people either in the camp of being saved or not in the camp of being saved, oftentimes, I think it confuses them for the long term because they're like, I'm saved, I'm good. And they, go, they don't journey with God at all. And, and those who are truly saved, the Bible says, will endure till the end. And so it, it's a journey. It's, it's, we're in it for the long haul. And, and that's what we need to know. So great questions. When you said um, one word, respect about God, reminded me, one of the things I do a lot of the times with my boys as they're talking to their mom is uh, I just say this phrase over and over again, try again, try again. Like last night she was feeding our our baby uh, in the kitchen and Boaz just walked into the kitchen and said, thirsty. And I just was yelling at him from the other room, try again, 
you know, like we're we're not gonna let you get what. Oops, sorry, we're not gonna let you get what you're after until you learn how to honor your mama. Yeah, so that's important. That's rule number two in our family. Uh, okay, we got two more questions here to close out uh, with. So you talked about and shared with us First John four eight. So many people are familiar with this verse. I think I even learned a song about this when I was a little kid. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. There you go. I was, I was leaving it in the blink. I thought Stephanie might step in oh, and step up to the plate, but <laughs> Pastor Matt, once again, coming in clutch. Yep. For, uh, so, so what does God is love actually mean? People say this all the time. Yeah. So what it means is, the, the you know, when we're trying to understand who God is, the best word to describe him is love. And why is that? Because love is a relational word. It, you, know, you can't you can't love in isolation. Love is something that is experienced within the context of community. So again, that's who God is. God is love. We need to be careful though, because we can't flip it around and say all that is love is God, because we got to let God be the driving okay. force in in terms of defining what love is, and not let our concept of love be the driving force in who God is. Because our world says that love never judges, love never has standards, love never has boundaries. Like that that's just ridiculous. You know, um, you know. Modern interpretation of love is this open-ended, you know, non-covenantal, non-like, there's no lines in it. And so, um, you know, the modern definition of love is, you know, well, we're, I'm in an open relationship. And I would say if you're in an open relationship, you're not in a relationship. I don't know what that is, but it's not a relationship because a relationship is something that has boundaries. Yeah. And so if we're going to have a loving relationship with God, by definition, there must be boundaries. So who sets them? He does. And he tells us what we can do and what we can't do. And... Um, you know, for example, we'll get into this at a later point, but sex is something that uniquely affects our relationship with God. And it's something that God is passionate about, about us having boundaries in that. Um, so God is love. He is, and by that, he is the supreme definition of goodness, but we need to understand as sinners, we don't understand what that is. Like we think we know what good is, but we don't. And that's why a lot of people will say, well, if God is so loving, why does he send people to hell. And we talked about that. Mm-hmm. God's not sending anyone to hell. They're choosing to go there. You know, uh, they're going to march. They're going to march into the fire with their middle finger directed at God because they, they don't want him in their life. That's, that's where they want to go. That's what they want to do. They're unrepentant. They don't care. You know, I mean, literally they're, they're done. So um, I think that's, that's huge to understand that God is love. And even we talked about this weekend, even in judgment, he judges in love. So he, he's going to send them to hell because he loves those who have repented of their sins and want life to be different. And he's going to send them hell because he loves those who have demanded their own way and their own life forever. There you go. So. All right. So our last question uh, comes from the verse Exodus three, seven that you used um, in your message this weekend. He said, then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes. I'm aware of their suffering. So if God is aware of our suffering and he knows that it's happening, how can we find a way to connect with God in it rather than maybe running from him or hiding? Yeah. So you just got to know this. And so, you know, God is not going to intervene in every situation in life. Why? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world where bad things happen. And that's the reality. So when we ask God to intervene, what we're asking God to do is to intercede, intercede, excuse me, into, uh, you know, supernaturally and negate the process of natural things. That's what we're asking God to do. So when I get cancer, like I got cancer, I'm asking God to intervene and miraculously take that away. That's not always gonna happen. And, and that's not the purpose by which he came. God didn't come, you know, we talk about this verse, by your stripes, we are healed or his stripes. He didn't come to cure cancer. He came to cure uh, my broken relationship with God. Now, cancer is a result of that brokenness um, because it affects all of us. And disease is just one of the realities of living in a broken world. Bodies don't work perfectly. Things don't work you know, as they should all the time. And so we just need to know that God is aware of our suffering and he has sent a Moses in our life. He's not going to save us from Egypt. He's going to save us from the earth. How is he going to do that? He's going to rapture us with him and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to take us home to be with him. He's going to recreate this. Every heartache, every pain, everything that you have in your life that is awful will all be taken away. Eventually. Not now, but eventually. Um, you know, and so you just have to look at that in terms of when, when God is telling Moses, I'm aware of their suffering, that doesn't help the woman whose son was just slaughtered by the Egyptians. That doesn't help her. Now, one day she's going to be in a land flowing of milk of honey, but eventually all those who are faithful will be in heaven and all things will be restored and every tear will be wiped away. So in the moment, we may not be able to be comforted with our sorrow. The comfort comes from the hope of what is yet to come. 
Mm-hmm. And that's just the reality. If you are totally focused on the here and now, you're going to find Christianity very frustrating mm-hmm. because Jesus promises that he's coming again. And the Jews had to wait, you know, thousands of years for the Messiah to come the first time. We await the second coming of the Messiah. And that's what we wait for. That's what we hope for. That's what we long for, the return of our great and glorious King um, who will return when the Father who's in heaven determines that it's time. Um, you know, Jesus said that's not even for him to determine, but God the Father will determine when all things are up. And um, so, and, and Peter says that God is waiting so that we repent. He's trying to give us the most opportunity for all of us to repent and come to him because God doesn't want to judge anyone. You know, the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not something that he gets excited about. He wants even the wicked people to repent and come to faith and trust in him. Yeah, that whole thing reminds me of even just last this last year as we were praying for baby Jessica, um, the two-year-old who mm. was struck with just that just that awful form of brain cancer and how ultimately, you know, her physical body was not healed by God and, um, uh, you know, she's not alive anymore. But then last week at episode 50, the live show, there was her mom sitting there in the very front row um, just you know, pursuing God, you know, pursuing a greater understanding of who he is and what he has called her and their family to. And I just thought, you know, that's a great example of what does it look like to find God in the middle of your suffering is to continue to pursue him, not just like sit where you are waiting for him to come after you. I was really inspired by by that when we uh, sat down and watched the show or started the show last week. So it was awesome. Well, there, there it is, guys. We just did a show on video now. So we've got two episodes in a row that are monumental, historical. Hopefully you guys like that. It was a little bit, I didn't know what to do the whole time if we were supposed to, if we should look at the camera. Yeah, I felt like I looked at you. I thought that part, that was nice for me. That was nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you guys had, you guys are directly across from each other. You know what it, it feels like? I've never been like a divorce attorney, but I almost wonder if this is what it would be like, uh, you know, two people sitting mm-hmm. straight across from each other. Or maybe if I was like going to carefully adjudicate like a really intense national chess match or something. Did you feel hostile? I didn't feel any hostility. Yeah, no, not hostility at all. Here. But just the posture and the pose and stuff. Oh, I guess my arms are kind of crossed in. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? This is this is this show is also a first for us. It was the first time since the very beginning of the debrief that we've not had producer Kelly in the room uh, with us. Producer Kelly, you're on the other side of these cords somewhere mm-hmm. and we, we love you, buddy. There. Yes, exactly. We love you. Thank you for making this happen. Well, guys, uh, go ahead and go to debrief.show slash 51. If you want to get all the show notes, you can catch the video uh, there as well and you can use that to share with your friends, everything you got here on The Debrief today, and uh, we're super excited for this new YouTube channel. You Mm -hmm. can uh, follow along. Yeah, so you can follow us on Instagram at Debrief at Debrief Show. Mm -hmm. Look for us on Facebook, also The Debrief Show. There we'll throw a link to our new YouTube channel so you can find that. Be one of our first 100 subscribers and win that guaranteed high five. Oh, yes. Uh, lastly, man, we would appreciate if you want to support Sandals Church and the work that God is doing here, especially those of you guys who love the show but are not a part uh, of Sandals Church, man, if you would consider just donating a dollar for this episode uh, to help us continue to produce this uh, show, uh, maybe do some more shows in the future and continuing to open new locations for people to be real. If you would text even to donate a dollar, you can just text give debrief to 951-941-20. It's give debrief. Those are two separate words to 951-941-20 and uh, we'll make it uh, happen and super seamless. That would be awesome. And before we go, man, there's some things we need to understand that Christians pe- Christians say it's time for learning Christianese. Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese, I really think so. Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese, I really think so. All right. So I was re-listening to our 50th... Uh, 50th anniversary episode, 50th yes. episode. I don't know what we're calling it. 50th anniversary episode, Salvation Extravaganza. Salvation Extravaganza? Celebra- celebration. <laughs> salvation Extravaganza. That works. Yeah, that got weird. Um, and yeah, I noticed I'm still, down, Jesus, I'm still on medication. Weird, yeah. I'm still on medication, guys. I'm on a lot of meds to do this show. <laughs> All right. So I noticed that we use this word a lot in the show, and it was based on one of the questions. But what do Christians mean when we say legalistic? Like, wow, you're being kind of legalistic right now. Yeah. So what it means is they are being very, very law oriented in the way that they look at scripture. And so, uh, like I said, there's 613 laws in the um, Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Um, So like if you grew up Catholic, Seventh-day Adventist, um, maybe even like more traditional fundamentalist Baptist, it's going to be about all the rules and regulations and being very, very careful. So the the law of the New Testament is the law of love. So don't do anything that would break your love relationship with God, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another as you love yourself. So th- those are the two things that we're supposed to do. So, um, you know, what what it means is getting down into the minutia and trying to figure out specifically, you know, 
should I not eat shellfish, you know, and should I, you know, um, not wear linen with cotton and all of those things? Um, or, you know, should I just be loving to God? Because God doesn't care, you know, specifically how you're dressed. You know, am I supposed to grow my curly cues down like traditional Orthodox Jews do on the side of their head? No, you know, you don't need to do that. Um, what you need to do is, you know, is this going to draw me closer in my relationship with God? Is this um, going to help me love him more or is this causing me to love something else more? Mm-hmm. And so we need to really, really look at that. But yeah, legalistic is just a word that's, um, you know, almost like we approach the Bible like we're lawyers, you know, rather than people. And so, you know, a lot of times uh, in, you know, if you watch a case on TV, people will be arguing about the law and you realize they're missing the point. There's a real person in there in the case and the trial and yeah. that's being missed. And that's sad because the law is supposed to protect the person that's sitting there. Um, and so you just need to make sure that you don't just get so, so caught up in the details of Christianity that you're missing the big things. And so, you know, love one another. Um, now, the law teaches us what that looks like. You know, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie. You know, th- those are those are good things. We don't get to, you know, oh, well, I'm all about love, so I'm going to lie to you and, you know, cheat on you and steal from you. No, that's, that's, not, that's not what we're supposed to do. The reasoning is... For example, um, here, here's the shifting from a legalistic person to a person who's in relationship with God. So like when you're driving your car on the freeway and you're speeding, you're breaking the law. So some of us, like Stephanie, don't do that because they don't want to break the law. Well, what if you drove in such a way where you love the people around you and you wanted to be safe at all times? And that was the motivation for the reason with which you, you know, the, the mileage that you chose to drive at, um, the speed with which you chose to go. That, that's what God wants us to do is why are you doing what you're doing? Well, I'm doing it because uh, I love these people and don't want to hurt them or hurt my family or because I don't want a ticket. So the legalistic person is worried about getting a ticket from God. The person with a relationship with God is, is I'm going to love God and I want to be loving to the people around me and I'll make sure that I do that. I was going to go get some seafood for lunch. Stephanie won't come with me though. She's yeah. been pretty legalistic yeah, about, about shellfish about lately. Shellfish thing. I want to oh just my gosh. be careful there. 